So this is episode nine of Fargo TV, and it's called A Fox, A Rabbit, and A Cabbage. Hey, everyone. My name is Mike. And I'm Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Mike. So here we are, West Coast Projects, um, Fargo TV. We got one more to go after this. I know. I know. They're doing a great job of wrapping it kind of as they go, I think, though, but... Yeah, yeah, pretty good job of tying stuff together when we think we're really diverging. Last week when we left, it looked like they're starting off in a whole new direction. And yeah, it did, but they answered so many questions in that 15 minutes. They gave us a year synopsis of all those characters' lives with very few questions left in 15 minutes. Brilliant. It was brilliant. You mean the first 15 minutes of the show? No, I'm talking about the last 15 minutes of the last show, of episode 8. When they went forward a year, by the end of the show, I felt like I knew what I needed to know about Molly and Gus. I felt like I needed to know what... Well, except for Malvo, but but they kind of told us everything about Lester. We kind of knew the direction his life had went in. They told us so much. They essentially went a whole year with very little dialogue about it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought in this one, in the first 15 minutes, they tied up a bunch of details. They did. They They went back. This was more about the Malvo character, but they went back and just, I mean, just dug deep into the Malvo character's history and brought us all up to speed with it. So, Yeah, we start out by seeing Malvo in dentist mode. I don't know if his name's Malvo. His name is Mick Mike, or is Mick Mike the friendly way of saying Mike? I think I heard him saying Mikey Mike. Well, he called him Mikey Mike and Mick Mike and... Yeah, because it was Bertie Burt. Right. I never so, I never heard a plain Mike though. Um, one time I think I heard Mike because that's when I wrote it down. And when I went back and watched it again, I saw the little cutesy Mikey names. So. Yeah, I guess it had to be the friendly, goofy way guys talk like that. Sure. <laughs> they do. So um, we see Malvo as a dentist, and I guess Mike, Michael, Mike Malvo. <laughs> Mike, we'll call him Malvo. Everyone knows him as Malvo. Right. And he's talking about sleep deprivation and how after three days of no sleep, it turns him into an animal. And it's one of the first of many animal references in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah, did you what, what did you think when you saw Malvo as the dentist? Where did you think that was going to go? Well... At first, honestly, I had no idea. I had no idea. And at first, I thought they kind of teased us at the end of episode eight about the upcoming thing about him being a dentist. So I thought, particularly once we got a li- just a little bit into this and we're at Malvo's house, I almost thought we had went back in time. Everything there was uh, so retro So I was confused, honestly. Malvo looked older, I guess, because he had the darker, I mean, the the white hair, but anybody can do that and then color their hair. I don't know. I thought we had went back in time at that point. I was not at all convinced that we were up in real time yet. Why would they have gone back in time? 
Well, who knows? Who knows? They frequently will take us back to to another time. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I thought maybe they were showing us what caused Malvo to choose this this life that he's chosen or something, you know, that he was a successful dentist and, and he had this girlfriend slash fiance and he had all this going on and then something happened to him that then made him, that was what was going through my mind. Of course, none of that came to fruition, but that's honestly what I was thinking. What were you thinking about? Well, I didn't know. I didn't, I don't think it was, I never thought it was a flashback. I just thought I was his next role. And this guy, Stephen Root is the actor. He's a, he's in a million shows. He's in a lot of Coen Brothers shows. Um, he's just a really good actor. Um, we missed the reference last week because he was the guy in the, in, um, in the office with the, the Mike Judge movie, the office space where he was in the in the bottom room like key and peel kind of are he gets relegated to the like the cellar or the storage room and his favorite thing in the office is his red stapler did you ever see that movie office space i didn't no oh god it's a great movie um you like mike judge though you like the um silicon valley that's the same same thing same guy um the silicon valley show Love that show. Anyway, so his stapler, and they named Malvo or Lester, stapled the Hess boys. Oh, okay. But back to this modern, uh, this this episode, we see him come in at, at the dentist office and introduce himself as Bertie Burt, or uh-huh. recognizes Bertie Burt. And we hear sleigh bells and the washing machine together, um, which was interesting. Yeah, it was kind of all mixed up in this one. I've yeah, and a couple other times they did that, these kind of little cues to things. It was pretty tense. Not that part, but as we go along. And then they're they're at a Kansas City party. They're in Kansas City now. This is where this dentist whole dentist operation is. They're mm-hmm. in Kansas City at a party, and um, we see some interaction between the, the these two guys, Bert and Mick, Mike, Malvo. Yeah, yeah, that's when I really started thinking that it was set back in time. Did you notice me? He's like... He's putting vinyl records on a record player. Everything looked very 70s, late 70s to me, even the way he was dressed and stuff. Of course, then they went in the kitchen and it didn't. It looked a little, you know, more modern and stuff. But Yeah, that's a good point that he did have the old cool record player and the sound system going. Yeah, and even the furnishings and stuff. If you if you watch it again, look, because it really does. They've got the, the glass partition that like uh in place of a banister it's see-through like a glass or place i don't know everything about it just screamed 70s to me but that wasn't i don't know why but that wasn't um that wasn't what i was thinking anyway so we heard another um analogy too if you like the milk by the cow (laughs) ivanka lives on even across episodes um ivanka does yeah that was um Although and it's a little bit different. It's not it's not owning the cow. It's like it's not screwing the cow. You buy the cow because you like the cow, not making no, the cow. Because you like the milk. Right. Buy the cow because you like the milk. And she thought that was so sweet. Aw, that's so sweet. Right. Like, so Bertie Bert brings over some Finnish ice wine and uh they take a couple shots of that. Have you ever tried Finnish ice wine? 
never even heard of that. Tell me about it. I don't know. I've never heard of it either. Oh, okay. I dated a Finnish girl a couple times, and all I remember about her was she smelled kind of funny. Funny? Yeah, she just smelled different. She didn't smell bad. Just, just different. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they make a they they make another animal reference about being a the the girl being a Hellcat in the in bed. Another animal related comment. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty interesting. This is I think at the end of this all, it's going to boil down to kind of nature, animals being animals, and just doing what they need to to do to survive. Yeah, I kind of see them cross-referencing the difference maybe between animalistic behavior without thinking things through and human behavior. That's how I take all of these. But Scheming and plotting and stuff. Yes. Uh, so Malvo admits he's a rascal, mm-hmm. which is more like <laughs> a very understated way of describing himself. Um, and we find out that uh, Bert has a brother in witness protection, and this kind of starts to really tie stuff together. Right. And that he's going to go for a little family reunion in Vegas, because you can't break apart the Canton boys from Chicago. Um, so Malvo eyes him up and down when he mentions Vegas, like, aha, I finally got my location of the... You know, we're, we're finding out that he's he's essentially... He's scoping out Bert for these six months in Kansas City to find this witness that's somehow related to other crimes or other dealings. Right. And Some, something to do with the mob guys out of Chicago. Yeah. So it's a long game. It's the long play. And, and here's the clicking of it together for Malvo and for us. We see why he's a dentist in Kansas City. Right. But how would you do that? How do you just get to be a dentist? I mean, they show him like doing the dental work. I, I don't know, fake a diploma, might... and I'm sure he can... <laughs> YouTube it? Yeah, I'm sure you yeah. can. <laughs> you know, if somebody needs something really serious, just call in somebody else to help or something. I'm not worried that Malvo can, can't pull that off after everything else he's done. No, 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 I'm not either. I just always wonder if maybe he was a dentist before or something. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm curious... I'm curious where Malvo came from, but I guess we can get into that. In the better, the better question is what? How do? How does the economics of it add up? Because he's he's after a hundred thousand dollar bounty, but he has to live in another city for six months, you know, and, and have a lifestyle and a pretty high and an affluent house and all that. He's going to burn through a hundred thousand dollars doing that, just living there six months. Well, yeah, but I mean, we assume that he's going to make salary as the dentist, too. So it's just like a job that's covering his expenses. Plus, if he's a doctor, and then, you know, and I the- think I think though that it says not, it says more about Malvo just doing this stuff because he's a creator of mayhem. Yeah, of chaos. He even kind of blows off the hundred thousand. Yeah, and I don't get the hundred thousand, but you know, I mean, so, he he didn't care about the money. Yeah, and so so leading into that, he's sitting there for his entertainment. He's listening to tapes of a guy's last words of his life. Tell my wife I love her, and then bam. Oh, I know, I know. Did you pay attention to that though? Because it was like that could have been Lester in a different situation. I had a good life. I had a wife. I had a family. I had this, and then you came along, and and. I can't hear everything they're saying. I tried, but and Malvo says, "Well, 
you know, I only suggested or something. It was a really interesting conversation that was going on between Malvo and uh, and whoever the guy. Yeah, it implies implies that Malvo's done this over and over and over multiple times. Right, right, because you see that many stacks of tapes he has in his little case. So, so then we see the camera scrolling through the Las Vegas strip and then down the hallway. That was a pretty cool transition. Yeah, that um, was like a nod to The Shining, you think? Yeah, you could pick wh- whichever one. There's a bar- there's a movie called Barton Fink that's a Coen Brothers movie where the guy's a writer and he kind of lives in a hotel and the- they scroll down the hallway like that. That was really cool. The cinematography in this, again, they outdid themselves how they do that. Matt Shackman is the director. I think it's his first time. He may do these last two. Um, and there's really ominous music, and we see the elevator open, and it's kind of a preview of what's going to happen mm-hmm. later. And then we're back in we're back in tune with last week's ending. Yeah, saw from the different angle this time. This time, in place of it being with Malvo and his group in the background and focused on Lester, this time we're focused on Malvo and his group with Lester in the background. And I thought that was a really cool way to tie that in. So we and see, a- we see Bert he's talking about his plan to meet his brother in this clandestine way where he's got to switch cars a couple times and sneak off to meet him at the witness protection. How, what do you think about Bert inviting his dentist pal along to meet his brother in witness protection? That was kind of sloppy. It was sloppy and it would be unbelievable to me if I hadn't witnessed over the course of this last year Malvo's influence on people to make poor decisions. So that, to me, while it wouldn't ring true in any other situation probably, really ring, it's like, okay, I bought it. Because Malvo is so influential in the way he comes in and integrates himself and kind of kind of spreads his his disease in everyone's life. I mean just like it's it's just everywhere. He gets in the nooks and crannies and so I bought it. Well he did make Lester almost into a protege of himself. Not quite as bad, but he's a poor protege though. Oh he's so poor. I felt sorry for Lester again this time. Anyway. Yeah. So he gets to the, is this what you want question again? And this time Lester answers it and we see the consequences of him answering it, uh, which is that he has to, Malvo has to eliminate the three people that his date slash fiance and Bert and his girl or was that Bert's wife or was that a Vegas girl with Bert? No, that was Bert's wife. That was the one who showed up at the party with him with the bean dip. Remember? Okay, so they all. So Bert's Bert's little adventure to Vegas is like a is like a tour. It's like a fun thing. It's like we got to be clandestine and meet my brother, and it's like a it's like a game almost to him. But it doesn't end well because because uh, Lester says yes, this is what I want. So Melville has to wipe them out. And then he blames it on Lester because I think he knows Lester takes on the guilt of everything he does anyway, which granted it's got a lot to do with Lester, but like Sam Hess being killed, that really wasn't Lester's fault fault. Lester had no idea what he was getting himself. It was, it was his fault, but he had no idea what he was getting himself into this time. Lester certainly 
had an idea of what he was getting himself into. I don't understand what made Lester do that. I don't understand what made him confront Malvo in that way. I don't understand what he hoped to get out of that. I don't understand where Lester had hoped that would go. Unless he's just so used to being a top dog showman kind of now that he felt like he could somehow get away with it or intimidate Malvo. Well, I think Lester has... Well, Malvo helped Lester repair some of his male ego. And this is the next step for Lester's like, I'm not just going to walk away like I don't know you. I'm going to confront you and, you know, and push it. And so what end, though, just to just to well, just probably like he's tested other things in his life that made his life better. You know, he's like not backing away from fear sometimes to the only end of not being afraid, you know, just facing up to the fear standing up to it. Yeah, and I'm I I do understand a lot of the I don't agree with them, but I understand a lot of the decisions that Lester has made, but I this is one I just don't we never really found out what his end goal was other than maybe what you're saying just to show, I don't know, maybe to be top dog in this. He's been top dog in so many other things that he feels like he can now take on Malvo. Yeah, like what was his top? What was his goal in going out for the drink when the girls t- tempted him, and he could have just gone up to the room with Linda? You know, yeah. there's you kind of know that you don't need to know that he's gonna like have sex with girl A or girl B. He's just like being an alpha male. He's like re- re- reveling in this new power that he has. Yeah. Same with me- meeting up with Malvo and just saying, "Hey, you can't just dismiss me. I want to talk to you." Right, but I'm just trying to figure out in my mind how what Lester felt like could have happened what did he think about it what what could have been he just being he's just instinctively being a male like animal like the animal thing okay I guess I can go for that I'm just if they had written it to where Lester came out on top in that situation what might that have looked like and yeah, I just that can't would even never come happen. up with anything. Okay, okay, good. So, because I can't come up with anything anyway. So, uh, Michelle in Tennessee, we see a break, commercial break, and on that commercial break, they're selling the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever of True Detective. And we oh, have I didn't see that. I we have a True that. Detective podcast. If anybody wants to look it up, of course, True Detective is over, but you can still go and listen to the podcast on iTunes, or you can find it at our at our West Coast Project website. Um, it's under the West Coast Project side of the website. So just scroll back and you can find 10, 10 episodes of us doing the uh, True Detective podcast. That was such a great, such a great show. And Miss it. When will our Blu-ray be out, Michelle? Um, well, I don't know. I didn't. Do you know what a Blu-ray is? Yeah, I have. <laughs> yes. Yes. So. My- Poor Linda. We're back at the show. Poor Linda's. God, I felt so bad for Linda, man. She was like a she's like a little poor cartoon character. I felt bad for her there. But um, Lester goes run. First of all, he ran away at the end of the last scene, but he goes up to the room and gets Linda. We got to get out of here, hon. Pack up. We're leaving. We're leaving town, baby. And then they go in the elevator and waiting for that elevator was like so damn tense. The elevator, watching them go down the hallway, 
um, waiting on the elevator door to close. There was there was several times that this happened where this tension just built up and built up because in the other scene, Lester was the one who went around and stuck his hand in the elevator door at the last second. I mean, he was he was literally two seconds away from them being gone. Uh, the whole dentist group, and he caused that much demise in the last just literal split second. And so we're sitting there watching Lester and Linda now, and weren't you just waiting on a hand to come through that door? And yeah, stop it was it? tense. Yeah. Thank God the elevator that came was the non-bloody one. But um, <laughs> they, I guess they make, it, they make it back home. We go back to Fargo, and we see Pepper and Budge um, brainstorming. I love their friendship. They're just they're just close, man. They're physically close. They're lying on the floor with their heads together down in their basement. That was that was great. It was so good and I love their interaction and how Pepper will answer things and Budge wants him to answer it a different way and and so he gets frustrated with him and it's it's uh it's really cute how they do that. Yeah, they're going, through the, they're going through the title of the show, The Fox, the Rabbit, and the Cabbage Riddle. Right. And uh, one of them comes up with a turducken as the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's what Pepper says. He goes, turducken. And, uh, and Budge goes, that's not the answer. And uh, Pepper, or uh, yeah, Pepper goes, well, it's an answer. Yeah. It's, and I like that because... It's not the answer, and maybe that's what we're going to get in this whole in this whole series. It may not be the answer you're expecting or the answer you want, but it is an answer. So right. I don't know. I hope that's not uh, something for us to have to dwell on later. Do we'll you see. do you have the answer? I've known this since I was a little girl. No, I this, know that everyone knows that, but I mean the the relation to this show. Well, no, well, why no. are they using the riddle in the show? What's the what's the relationship of the f- fox, rabbit, and cabbage in the show? Well, just just that it's uh, takes some planning. It's the difference in the human and the animal, and um, and then just the fact that we may just end up with an answer. That's all I came up with. What what did you think about it? Well, I thought one's a strong animal that preys on other animals. One's kind of a meek middle, middle animal that only eats like vegetable, and one's a totally passive thing that just kind of grows. It doesn't you know, it's So I kind of thought like Linda, like Linda might be the cabbage. Um, you know, Lester might be the rabbit. Because he pre- kind of preyed on Linda, used Linda to survive, and then of course Malvo is the fox because he he eats anything. But I don't know. I just, I don't have the definitive answer. Like aha, I clicked in. Here's what it is. Yeah. Um. But they're talking about that riddle, and they maybe we will know for sure at the end, or maybe like you say, it'll just be in a number of close answers, but nothing d- definite. Um. But they are. Peel and Key and Peel or Budge and Pepper are getting a request by some guy who needs a file, a syndicate file. And that's how they get connected back to Molly and Bemidji. Yeah, it worked out perfectly there. They finally, they've been down there for the year and they're finally hearing about Molly and her seven phone calls that she's made about this case saying she knows who did it, essentially. 
So Yeah, I love Budge and Pepper becoming smart. Like they aren't just a couple of ding dongs in the basement of this ho- this building. They that are was, yeah. They they are FBI guys which you'd probably have to get through a lot of pretty re- you know regimented training to rise to the role they have even if they're delegated to the basement now. They're still pretty smart, sharp guys. It was neat how they showed that. I thought it was really good how they showed it with Bill because that's when they became uh, sharp. That's when that's when they became who you would expect to see as these educated men versus these guys laying on the floor talking riddles and throwing tennis balls and not seeing Malvo walk in front of them with an automatic weapon in their car. But they even kind of explained that. So I, I thought that was a great interaction. And we'll get to that, I guess, in a minute. So maybe there's even some fox, rabbit, and cabbage in there, like Bill being a rabbit. Those guys are the fox. And I don't know what the cabbage is, maybe the evidence or something. <laughs> I don't know. But um, we go to the restaurant in Bemidji. We see Greta and Lou even getting connected enough that really pro- provides proof of this family being strong now that Greta calls Luke grandpa and wants to go fishing with him. And yeah. Um, and Molly never would go. And, and I loved that. Didn't you love that? Well, it was an invitation to danger to me. Like this precious little family scene equals like a way to disrupt it. It's inviting danger into blast it apart. Well, Okay. I mean, it is, I guess. <laughs> Come on, let me be happy. Let me let me feel good in this show for like 10 seconds. I just want the 10 seconds of, because they do that. They kind of like blow everything up and then they kind of like soothe you with a little bit of feel good and then blow it up again. So you're probably right. Yeah, they're not there to make you feel good. They're there to create drama. So we learn, Molly learns about the Las Vegas police crime scene and how there might be a witness to this three-person murder. Um, and what we, the scene ends, we don't know who the witness is until a little bit later. No, but you can tell by her face. You can tell by her face that she, that it's Lester because she goes, and so, sure, I'll go question him, and, and what's his name again? You know, and then she's like, her face drops. Yeah, so, did you know it was Lester? At the, I did. Right. Yeah. Well, of course I knew because I had just seen what had ha- actually happened there. But, yes, I knew that it was him. It was interesting to me, though, this little diner scene, because we later on we see Gus in his mail truck, and, and he's in kind of a dangerous scene there, too, because there's more tension later on in the show. But when I saw Gus in the mail truck, I thought, wow, this is the first time I've seen Gus in this episode. That's kind of weird. But Gus is in the restaurant. Gus is nobody in this scene in the restaurant. He's just... The interplay is Molly, Greta, and Lou. Like the connection that's really, to me anyway, seemed really strong were, were those three. How Molly brought Greta and Lou together and how Greta and Lou being together is the is the real proof of the strength of Molly and Gus. But yeah, Gus but- is a very minor player in that table scene at the diner. Well, he, yeah, and it may be that he's just a minor. Well, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if he's going to stay the minor player. I don't know. I don't pretend to second guess these guys anymore because <laughs> I've been wrong too many times. So, yeah, then so Lester and Linda arrive back in Bemidji or, or we see him in Bemidji. I guess they've already been back a little while. 
Um, but Linda's like a child. She's like well, a no, little they're girl. driving from the from the airport, right? Because they just got back. I don't think they'd been back. I think they were driving from the airport because she's asking yeah. Lester what's going they're on. They're on their way back. Home. They're just getting back, right? Right. And and um, you know, she she is. She's very childlike and she's very submissive to him and and um she asked if she did something and of course he's lying through his teeth and you think i thought that she bought it i thought she believed him she wanted to believe lester but we find out a little bit later on that linda's not so stupid right she protects him yeah, but she wants to go to Acapulco, and so suddenly he's like, let's go, let's go tonight, and in place of her going, okay, Lester, that's really weird, we're going to have to talk about what happened, she just wants to go drink rum from a coconut. It's. I thought it was great how Noah Hawley, the writer, put us behind, he put Malvo behind every corner, every dark corner, or even light corner <laughs> on the road back to their house and in the woods and in the house. And we were like Lester, just like afraid of every corner by the way that the scene was shot. Yes, because you never know where the man's going to come from. Although they've not really shown him at any point being the surprise character so much. Um, he, he He's never jumped out from anything. He's never... He's always just been kind of there in the background that you come upon or something. But it's been kind of rare that we've seen Lester as the, as what we continue to look for, or not Lester, Malvo, as what we continue to look for him as. Because we keep waiting on him in this whole episode to stop the elevator door, to show up around the corner to, you know, come from behind the woodshed or whatever, the the woodstack. And that is just not what he's ever done. But right. we keep waiting for it. They make us wait for that. And I thought that was, that's interesting to me that we keep expecting something out of this character that we've not seen. And I'm not real sure why we expect that from the character, but... So we see Lester's house and Lester goes down into the basement and gets Chaz's gun out of his old box of stuff. The basement, by the way, is a very nice basement now. It's like a furnished basement. Yeah, with big wide stone steps in place of those carpeting steps. I know. I noticed. And then in the in the box with the gun, though, is a bear trap. Do you think that's a Chekhov's bear trap waiting for something to happen? (laughs) I don't know. We heard about, um, you know, with Wrench about the animal having to chew its leg off and that's the kind of trap that a animal would get in to chew its leg off i don't know it just it said hunting supplies is what the box said and i'm not picturing lester as being this big hunter well then remember uh what what's her name chaz's wife was trying to give away that stuff oh you're right you're right okay all right well that makes more sense although i still wonder why she was giving away stuff if she was all broke because that's a nice gun and Anyway, maybe she just wanted to get rid of it. But Lester gets the gun and prepares to get ready to leave the house. And um, He grabs his big orange coat. Yeah, that's a... old coat. That's an important thing coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Molly talking her way in. Molly shows up because I guess we... Now it's revealed officially that Lester is the witness in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So Molly shows up and... 
she leverages Linda to get into the house because Lester yeah. doesn't want to let her in. Well, yeah, she talks about her bladder being the size of a penny. And so, of course, the female's like, oh, honey, come on in. And Molly's Molly's good at being kind of the sly fox who's acting a little little naive. You know, we know she knows it now, but she's acting friendly and, you know. I, do you think Lester totally knows she's on to him? No. No, I don't. I think Lester feels like he's gotten away with it, and I feel like, and I'm talking about all the old stuff, but I think he feels completely comfortable with what he got away with. You think he can talk to her about being a witness in that elevator and not having seen anything and just get away with that? I think he thinks he can. Hmm. Because I think he has that confidence. They had the confidence to go after Malvo. Molly's nothing to him at this point. Lester, he's overly confident, obviously. And maybe he was shaken by his conversation with Malvo, and that's why he's a little in the whole interaction and the dead people in the elevator. But, but maybe some of that's transferring to Molly, who comes up. Because you can tell he doesn't really like it. He doesn't invite her in, but... But, no, I think Lester's very confident, and I think he thinks he's going to get away from Molly. I think he's now, well, it's proven now, he's scared of Malvo, but he started that. He could have just walked away, walk away, Lester, and he didn't. He wouldn't, and I just keep going back to that. What did he think? Well, I think he's, I think he's more worried about Molly than he was before. Because if Molly can put him in Las Vegas in that hotel, he can. No, she knows he was in the hotel in Vegas. I mean, in she the kn- in the crime scene of the hotel in the elevator with the bloody bodies, I think he's more afraid of. He's more worried about her than he has ever been before. Well, he didn't even do that. That wasn't him. He was just a witness, and that's all they even think anybody. That's all they think Lester. But even don't you was. think the hotel has a video of people in the elevator with Lester? I mean, I don't well, know. That's- yeah, that's the whole thing. I would think, first of all, I didn't really, but I mean, I'm I'm not real travel savvy, but I didn't really get how they knew that or they thought Lester might be a witness to that. And if they thought he might be a witness to that, wouldn't they know more than just we think he might be a witness because well, he that's had why him coming ele- out of the elevator with the blood splatters in the background or not. I mean, how many people take an elevator at night in Vegas in a hotel? You well, know, that's why I think them. Molly was kind of playing it close to the vest and Lester kind of knew that she knew about him and he's, he just seems more worried. She seems better armed to catch him now than ever before. Um, so we get to the mail truck again scene that we were just talking about. Gus is on his route, and he senses, like, Malvo coming by. He he looks in the window, and I think he kind of sees a little bit gl- of a glimpse of his face, but it's a sense thing to me more than just, hey, there's that guy that I was scared of before. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it exactly. as visual. I saw it as sensual. Like, he just kind of knew it. Yeah, the rabbit and the fox. The rabbit will be eaten, and they stop and look up, and you don't see anything. But they know it's there. So, yeah, I definitely got that. So Melvo's on his way trying to track down Lester, and he goes to his old house, and he 
he meets the poor people at the old house and and uh, he's got the knife ready to go in, but the, it's a different. It's just kids and a dad, and he tells the, he finds out that Lester isn't there, but he has to rub it in by saying, you, "Did you know there were murders in this house, and they still hear noises?" And oh my God, what a jerk! I mean, just a horrible, horrible thing. And the kids are like, "We don't like him, Daddy," as he's walking away and everything. It was terrible. They hear footsteps on the back. I mean, he just. He deliberately terrified those kids and told them something that the kids should never know for no no reason, just just because he's a rascal. Yeah, he's got the red car, too. I think everything's pointing to him being the devil. Um, and then we drove past the Nygaard Insurance, and the background was Lou's Diner on a billboard. Yeah, I noticed that. And, and, uh, and man... Nygaard Insurance. It's snazzy, huh? Was that the oh. was that the Bo Monk site, or is that a different address? Like, um, do you think he bought out Bo Monk, or just started his own? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know because Lester had asked the guy that he bought the house from, "Is it Bo Monk's place?" When the guy told him where to find Lester, where you might find Lester, and uh, and he said, "No, he has his own place." So I don't know. I I thought he just opened his own office but maybe he did buy out doesn't really matter i guess Mm -mm. so we go back to lester's real house and molly's there talking to him and um i thought at this point linda was dangerous to lester because she she knows she's the hole in lester's story but it turns out she ends up either inadvertently or on purpose helping him instinctively it was on purpose right but Let's let's talk about that for a minute because why would she We know she did it because she felt like she needed to do it. She never trusted Lester's story. She doesn't trust the fact that they're going out of town. Um but they never really explained in any way why what would have made her take ownership of them coming back like that. You think she's just so devoted to her prince or she's the Cinderella and he's the prince that he he gets all of her protection even against good people trying to find out answers to like Molly's obviously a good person. Yeah, but I think she thinks Lester's not. Molly's there after him and he's not a good person, but he's her not good person and she's gonna protect him. So that showed me that this whole and then, of course, the conversation she goes into a little bit later on shows me that this is her family, and she is going to protect her family, and she's not as stupid as she's coming across. Yeah. In Cinderella, in the story, does the prince that gets Cinderella out of the crappy role she's in, does, does he have any bad traits that Cinderella has to protect him from? Or about? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Uh, No, we don't know much about him. He's just a good guy. So would would killing a pregnant girl turn you off to the series? Would you be would you write it off as like, oh, God, I'm sorry I ever watched that? Um, it would be too far for me. I wouldn't like that. So in a in a way, does that make Molly immune? Like, you know she won't get killed because she's pregnant? I have not thought about Molly getting killed since 
she got shot. If they wanted to kill Molly, I would have thought that they would have killed Molly then. I didn't even really think she was killed then, I don't think. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's too far. I don't think they're going to go there. And they go pretty far, but I don't think they're going to go there. Yeah. So um, we come back. Molly's getting back in the car, and she hears that the FBI guys are there to see her. Um, and then she catches Lester peeking at her through the window before she leaves. Right. She knows, man. She knows Lester's totally a bad guy. She does. She does. She knows it all. She doesn't buy a story, and she tells him not to leave town there, too, because she's got some photos coming in, and she may need to ask him some questions and stuff like that. And and uh, Linda starts to tell her, oh, shoot, we were going to, you know, and Lester, like, shush, shush, and um, no, no, of course not. We'll be here. Yeah, they were going to leave town. Mm-hmm. But before Molly can get to the diner, dun-dun-dun, Lauren wow. shows up. Malvo shows up. That whole scene, that whole scene, I was literally sitting on the edge of my seat. I thought we had seen the end of Lou. I thought that was going to be the end. We find now, out, though, that Malvo's he's abstinent, man. He, he has spritzer water in Las Vegas, and now he wants decaf coffee. In Bemidji. <laughs> Although he did drink the Finnish wine, I guess so. Uh, but Lauren knows Lou's background. He, he kind of intuits his past without having Lou tell him the information. He either looked it up or he intuit, intuited it by being his evil self. Right? He knew more than Lou told him just, just by somehow knowing it. Because yeah. Lou's not giving up any info. No, no. Lou played his cards close, but I was trying to think if there was some some way that we could connect Molly with Lou so Malvo would have known that way. But I can't really think. Remember, this isn't the first time, is it, that Malvo's been in that diner? Wasn't he in the diner before? Uh, or am I, I thinking wrong? I don't remember. Why is he in the diner now? Well, because he's trying to find Lester. He's in town. He's trying to find Lester, and he goes in the diner and asks Lou because they know it's he. He knows it's a small town, and everybody's going to know everybody, and so he asks him. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but anyway, Lou's not giving up any. He doesn't even answer any questions really very directly. Nothing and then the, at all. these shots of the diner are kind of interspersed, uh, soprano style with Molly on the way. Like Meadow trying to park the car in the last scene. Molly's on the way. We know that if somehow if these people all in the FBI guys are on the way, if all these people show up at the same time, something's got to give. So there's more tension building up, super building up here. Um, But Lou relates a case in 79. And when I heard that in 1979, it made me think, was that the real Fargo case? Like, is this a nod back to that? But um, I don't think the timing lined up for that. And then we, anyway, we heard that it's the 1979 Sioux Falls case. Yeah, the one that they've hinted at since episode one, the one that Lou has the lamp. And remember earlier, Greta said something about, I think I'd look cool with a lamp when Lou comes walking up. So it's about the lamp. We're constantly reminded about Lou's lamp and then about what happened, or, or we, we're not reminded, we're teased about what could have happened and what might have happened in Sioux Falls. And I thought it was interesting what Lou was saying about 
how what he witnessed wasn't human and wasn't animal, kind of. Remember? He says, I'd call it animal. He said, I would call it animal, except animals only kill to eat. So he was saying it was something beyond animal, even, is what I heard. That's what I heard. Yeah, well, just the fact they're talking again about animals kind of brings in the whole animal versus animal in nature. Animals are just there for what is he, what did Melville call it, breakfast and dinner or mm-hmm. just yeah, to eat. Yeah, definitely right. right. But this was this whole thing at the diner was basically a study, a graduate level study in crime solver versus criminal. You know, Melville, the master criminal, and Lou's kind of the master crime solver. He's he was pretty sharp and intuiting all these things and not answering questions and asking questions like you he he makes some comment about something and Melville says well I didn't ever say I was that you know he he's tricky he's slyly asking him things to try to figure out more about him how long did you say you worked for the Tampa DA oh I didn't say I worked there spent some time that's all but that's just me a traveler. Big cities, the small towns. Open road. Which is why I thought, uh, here we are, you know, what do you call it, uh, like a tight-knit community. So, uh, I don't know, just ask. So here I am, asking you if you know where I can find old Lester. Yeah, they're... It's like a, a matching of wits in that. And did you notice how he ordered, he was offered cherry pie or apple pie, right? And he said no goods ever come from cherry pie. And then he talks about the Garden of Eden. He hasn't had pie that good since the Garden of Eden. And, of course, we know, you know, the Garden of Eden, you think about the apple tree, although I don't think it actually says the apple tree, but that's what you think of when you think about that. What did you think about that? Well, I think in California here, we have pie, not pa. Pa. (laughs) Pie. Um, Yeah, it's a matching of wits, and Melville's dropping more hints that he's biblical of some level and not just on not just a criminal mm-hmm. um but then he leaves and molly arrives at the exact same time so they don't confront each other or contact each other and uh and then budge and pepper show up and they've connected molly's calls to that syndicate hit um and then who is he who is the he that was pretty good i like the timing of that that they didn't mm-hmm. confront each other that was all kind of meshed together but not conflicting with with the characters having to come to a resolution just yet yeah molly her reaction to them was a little different than i thought it would be i thought she would be really excited to have these guys there because she's so excited and animated and happy she was to show this information to both gus and bill and uh, she's feels kind of i don't know overwhelmed with their, with, I don't, I don't know. She was kind of like, okay, I've got to get through this. That was the look I saw on her face. So, well, she's already been shot down once a year ago on, on all this. Right. 
And, well, um, and she's pregnant now, and she's probably weighing, like, what's what's really important. I know this case is still important to her, but she's about to have this baby. So, I don't know. That probably all factors in. I guess, but she's still got the crazy board and everything, so. So, then we see another commercial break, and we see Louis is losing his sofa, Michelle, in the commercial. Louis- you know what? I know. I know. And that spoiler, it's a spoiler, don't you think? Well, Be- it's a commercial, so yeah, I guess it's a bit of a spoiler. It's a spoiler. It was remember we talked about the sofa and how Amia was on the sofa and then Pam Pamela was on the sofa. I think Louie had taken the red sofa. I think he took the sofa and that was the sofa Pam was on. And now the sofa's being moved. Now is it being moved because Pamela doesn't want Amia's sofa there? Or is it being moved because they're back? Save it for tomorrow. I bring it up because we do a podcast on Louis TV. Louis TV podcast, Facebook slash Louis TV podcast, or just look up Louis TV on iTunes or westcoastproject.com slash Louis. You can find us there. And by Louis, it's Louis. You won't find it with Louis, Louis TV. Well, we only do what the internet allows us to do. I know, I know, but I just want people to be able to find it because it's. Turning out to be you can a type in great Louis, season. You can type in Louie anywhere, Louie Podcast, with an E or an S, and you'll find us. Yeah, but on Facebook, if you type in Louie TV, I couldn't find us that way. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew. So back at the show, Molly, um, the TV show, Fargo, Molly is showing Budge and Pepper her charts. <laughs> her crazy board. I've started calling it the crazy board. It's not very crazy, though. It's pretty right on. It's brilliant, but it's crazy that she's kept it this long and added to it. It's like you said. It started out, obviously, as one, and it's morphed into this thing. So She's no, got the deaf crazy. fella, deaf fella, and deaf fella's friend mm-hmm. descriptions. And then she gives Gus a lot of credit for helping her build this case up. Yes, she does, because they want to know, did she do it herself? And she says no. So maybe Gus did have some, it's like you said, maybe Gus is the more intuitive, and maybe he did help her with some of that. Well, he's the dog catcher, remember? He is the dog catcher. And we're talking about wolves and foxes, and fox is pretty close to a wolf slash dog. But this is where Molly gets her... He, she gets her finally gets her pat on the back where Budge and Pepper step up as FBI level dudes and they basically tell Bill he's an idiot and Molly's done great work. Yeah, and, they're much more adept at this point than than we've ever seen them. And in the, for the first time in this scene, Molly, I know Molly's been the same the whole way through, but I noticed her looking like really pretty, like her hair is curled a little bit. She's looking really good. You know, she's just looking more. I don't know, just better. She, like she's she's improved her 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 stature in the show has improved well yeah she's right and somebody's taking her seriously and it's kind of glowing out of her i think but along with every other good thing she's got going on in her life and i think they're showing us that molly has a lot of good things going on in her life now yeah and maybe i thought of this cuz in the next scene we see gus and Gus looks attractive too. Gus looks a little bit more powerful than he has looked before. He's kind of walking through his house and he looks at the the crime board that they have at home. And you might be right. Maybe he did help her sketch this all out at home a little bit and then she brought it 
to our crime board at work. But the camera angles are like low. They show Gus from low towards upward towards his face. And he just looks powerful. He, he's never looked powerful before. No, um, he looked smart. And I don't think they've shown him looking really smart very much. And he he did. He looked powerful. And he looked like you brought up, like he was um, sensing something with everything. And he remembered the slow motion of Malvo coming down the road. So yeah, the I'm, red I'm beamer. Wondering, yeah. So I'm wondering if he's not going to be worried about Molly after seeing that board and maybe go after her? I don't know. That the red beamer going in slow motion, regular motion with the jump cuts, like the like the ring, the girl crawling out of the well. Oh, I know. That was pretty good. So good. So good. So Lester's at home buying tickets to Acapulco. <laughs> Does he buy two tickets or just one? No, he got two. He he shows him printing one and then it shows him printing again. So okay. there was I took it as two. And he gets his, um, he's in his, you know, orange puff coat and he's looking out the window and in the dark and he's printing the things. And, and then he goes in there and Linda's serving up the pea soup that she had thawed for dinner or whatever. And he's like, let's go. And she says, they can't go. I thought we couldn't go. And he said, he tells her he's talked to the deputy, Molly. And she said, go ahead. And, uh, Linda doesn't question it. Yeah. And then they do the other camera shot. I mean, it's just beautiful camera shot after camera shot. Um, they show it's like taken from the front of a car where they're going down the dark, wet, snowy road. And you can hear Linda and Lester's conversation begin. And uh, so you know that they're headed somewhere. But beautiful shots in this. Well, the other creepy thing was Lester. She, Lester tells her that she won't need a winter coat where we're mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. And so that is so premeditated because he knows now that she's going to she's going to have to borrow his orange coat to go into the office. But you didn't get that, did you? What? When that first happened, when he said you don't need the coat, I didn't get that at all. Well, no, because they're going to Mexico. You think they're just going to go from the car to the airport to the plane to whatever. Right, And he's just in a hurry. I took it as don't even fool with getting your coat. You're not going to need it. Let's just go. So well, they're giving us reasons it. to hate Lester even more, and this is definitely one. Like sending her into that perilous place was one, but premeditating it so far back to even this point makes him really, really evil. Even before, when he grabbed his coat, that coat in the basement, which is the coat he wore the whole, you know, first week or whatever it was of the first eight episodes. All the way back to the basement when he got his gun and grabbed that coat because he stopped and thought about it and looked at the coat. All the way back there, he had premeditated this. Yeah. When you think Lester has reached his despicable level, you realize that that was nothing but a stepping stone to what he's to his cowardice and what he's capable of. Right. And then there's even more of a capper on it by Linda talking about her Cinderella story. Now she's brought here and she's forced to be the cleaner in the hotel that her parents have. And she hoped a man would take her away. And and then here's Lester being that guy. But yet he's not really that much of a prince because he's going to send her into this bad place. Um, Just for his own benefit, really. 
just just as a decoy. He uses her as a decoy to make sure he would have been okay. Well, I mean, he, it's just the most horrible thing. So why don't you think why don't why wouldn't they just drive away? Because he, he doesn't get the tickets or the money. He he's still. No, he did the tickets at home. He didn't have his passport. Oh, passport, right? Yeah. But so why? So why even send her in there? He doesn't get what he wants out of there. Like even Walter White knew that he sent in a decoy, but he could come in later after the decoy kind of showed that the guys, you know, or flushed the guys out. Do you think he went back in and got the passport after? What, you know, what's no, the point? No, I don't think so. He didn't want to no. kill Linda, really, right? He, no, I don't think he cared. One way or another, if she dies, she dies. But no, he wanted to leave the country, and he had an excuse because he even kind of said something earlier to Linda. He's like, who knows? We may never come back. So that was kind of in the back of our minds, I think. And he wanted to leave the country. If Linda went with him, great. He was terrified of Malvo. He's going to have to get away from Malvo because he started this snowball rolling down this hill, and now he knows he is in its path. But... But he sending did. Linda in to, as a sacrifice doesn't help him get out of the country any more than just driving away with her in the car. I think he felt like he, look, Lester, I think, still felt in control. And he, now he was scared of Malvo, but I think he thought, this, this is quick, right? These, these murders just happened the night before. I mean, the middle of the night, 24 hours haven't, hasn't passed. So I think Lester thought that if he could get out of the country quick, then he was going to be okay. And I think he felt like he was being paranoid. Malvo wasn't at his house. Malvo wasn't whatever. So this was a, I'm going to do this, and we're going to get out of, ta- out of the country. He had to have his passport. And see, he was on his way to get his passport earlier in the day when Molly came. So he knew he had to have his passport. And he was, at that point, now that some time's passed, afraid to go in the office, rightly so. So he thought Linda might be able to get away with it, but he didn't want to take the chance of him might being able to get away with it? Yes. He thought, I'll send her in. I'm sure she'll come out with the passports. I'm being overly paranoid. But just to be safe for me, I'm going to throw this woman who has just lied for me to police and who calls me her Prince Charming and who's pretty and sweet and does everything for me and looks at me as her family. I'm going to throw her under the bus. All right. Well, it makes sense to me if he thought there was a chance that she might walk back out with the passports. Yeah, I think he thought she was was I think he thought she was going to. But okay. he was just not not being he was just being overly cautious for himself. And so why do you think when Malvo came out Malvo obviously knows that he didn't shoot the right person cuz he glares right at the car and right at Lester in the car. Well, yeah, they show him shoot and I don't think he knew who he was shooting at that point. And then you see him like bend over and you assume that he's bending over and checking. Of course. And then he's mad. And then he walks out, and he's kind of mad. And it does show him looking at Lester's car. He stops, and he looks at Lester's car. goes back to this instinct again. He looks at Lester's car. But you can't see Lester in the car. And Lester wouldn't park in front of the shop. So now it's across the street. And there was other cars, too. Oh, and the train. The train in the background going by when Lester's watching Linda walk in. Yeah. Sounds like the washing machine. 
again. But it's not. It's the train, but it's a clank, clank, clank. Yeah, I took the train as being like the relentless movement of everything moving always forward. Like the train was moving, moving, and it had the clang, clang. But I, I thought the train, because when they want the washing machine, they just make the washing machine sound. Yeah, but I just took it kind of. I mean, there's been other things that they've made sound like the clank, clank. And I think it was, you know, another clank, clank situation is how I took it. But. So Malvo never chases. Like he didn't chase Lester out of the elevator. Nope. In the basement in Las Vegas. He doesn't chase him here. Um, but he always has kind of the see you, see you later, see you soon <laughs> mentality. So he walks away from this all, and we kind of know that this isn't him walking away from Lester. No way. And that's it. That's the end of it. That's it. So we got one left. Um, do you have any predictions? No way. No way. How could you predict anything for this show? How could you? How could you even guess? Because you never know. Who would have thought Linda was going to be the next one to buy the bullet? I mean, I, that that would have been probably my, you know, third to last guess. <laughs> I would have, I mean, because she seems, she's so seemingly insignificant. I guess, you know, that's how Lester felt about her, too. But. So, you think the money will ever come up again? Or is the money just stashed there for the next step, next year's series? I don't think the money's going to come up again. I think Lester showed us he didn't care. I mean, not Lester. Malvo showed us he doesn't care about the money. He said, um, as an afterthought, kind of, when he's explaining to Lester what Lester has come in and complicated, he's like, yeah, and I don't get the 100000 either. That, that money's gone. He doesn't care. It's an afterthought to him. So I think the money's going to be for the next season. Do we know? Because one of the guys on Facebook um uh, Ed Nicholas, he asks, is there a second season coming? Do we know for sure? Um, I don't know for sure that's been picked up, but that's the plan. It's a, it's an analyst. It's in the talks, right? They're talking about it? Yeah, yeah. That's the point. That was the goal, was to make a series with different characters. Yeah, I hope they do. I think, unless they kill Molly next time, then I don't know if I hope they do or not. Well, if according to you, they kill, because Molly's not going to be unpregnant. If they ever kill a pregnant, I think if they ever kill a pregnant girl, they're writing off half their audience and they won't ever do that. Yeah, I think I they could kill Gus. I think they could kill, could kill Lou. I think that little family being perfect is so perfect that it's inviting something to disrupt it. And not just be happy, happy, happy. I mean, happy is Lester gets caught, Malvo gets caught, or Malvo gets killed. But I don't think Malvo's going to be caught or killed. I think he's going to roll on. Um, I guess Lester could get caught. Lester should be caught with all the evidence rolling around against him. I think Lester, I don't know if he's going to be caught. I think Lester might die. I don't know. Would it, would it be satisfying if Lester was just caught? Yeah, because then, cause then Chaz would be freed and maybe Gordo would be better freed. And there's a lot of loose ends there that need to be kind of tied up. And Lester getting killed wouldn't tie those up. No, but it seems almost more, particularly after this last scene uh, with, with Linda, poor, sweet, kind of conniving Linda. Um, I mean, just just being shoved into the mouth of the wolf. I mean, just literally, he trips her as he's running away, so she'll be the sacrifice. So, 
Yeah, maybe Lester will be killed and caught. Like he'll be he'll be killed, but it'll be found out that he was complicit in his wife's death and all the other crap. Yeah. Well, yeah. To to everyone, you mean, in place of just to us and Molly and now uh, the Pepper and Budge. Bond. Yeah. I think I would be upset if Malvo got killed. Just like I would have been upset if Anton Chigurh would have gotten killed. Because it's life, you know? It's like there's this bad stuff that happens to anyone and everyone. It's unpredictable. That, well, that kind of brings up another thing, though. I One of the guys on, on our Facebook, Jack Falkley, he said, um, he made a comment a while back that we're trying to make Malvo supernatural. We're trying too hard to do that. And... Um, I kind of agreed with him at the time that maybe we were, but sorry, Jack, I think now maybe that you were right, Mike, and I think that maybe Malvo can't be killed. I don't know that Malvo is supposed to be human. I think Lou has alluded to it a few times now, seeing things that's not human, not animal. I think the reference to evil, uh, the Garden of Eden, the apple, um, I mean, he, the snake, he's just, I think we're really kind of seeing, and I don't know that we're seeing it in a, anything's going to happen real sci-fi-ish, and I hope we don't, because I think that would spoil it for me. But I think that we're seeing, like you were talking about with Anton Chigurh, uh, that kind of, although Anton Chigurh, we assume he died, right? No, he got away. Well, he got, but he was very hurt, and we, I kind of saw him limping away to die. No, absolutely not. That's a that's an important (laughs) message in that movie. He gets he gets in that car accident, but the kids help him, and he moves. uh, He's injured, but he moves ahead, walks away. Don't help him. They give him a shirt or something. They don't help him. Well, the kid's kind to him. He gives him his shirt. Yeah, he's kind to him, but he doesn't like provide medical care or anything. I mean. I don't know. I don't know. I I think that could be interpreted too. But but yeah, I'm not seeing Malvo die in this. I'm seeing Malvo continue on with Yeah, I think one of the clues is that this is a Cone Brothers story. <laughs> and that's their message, you know, that this they're very religious in their movies and it's all it's all kind of philosophical, spiritual and it's God and God and evil and good and bad and you know, light and dark and all that. And so maybe not knowing that this was a Cone Brothers production would be helpful in keeping it mysterious. But I think knowing that it's Cone Brothers is also a hint that, you know, that we got the good force and the bad force. I think they have a unique ability to really walk that line of of fantasy and reality as far as, um, you know, it's definitely, there's nothing sci-fi about this show. There's things that are unanswered, but but you kind of get this, that can't be real feeling, but not enough to make you know it can't be real. And yeah. I think you're brilliant with that. It's very blurry. Like, there are people that are just evil people that are degrees of this evil force in life you know just a guy that goes and kills kids at a school or something that's a that's an element of evil even though he's a human 
you know, or people that are just mean and bad to other people and steal their money. You know, the stock market guys that steal money. It's there. It's just you know, it's a, it's a statement about evil. There's evil in the world, even if it's human. Yeah, but I think you said it good there. It's a blurry line of is this human evil or is this something beyond that? And I don't know that we're going to get that answer. I think it's evil in the in the mask of a human so that we can see it because we see it every day in people, in real human people. I completely believe that. I think evil manifests itself through people. But what I'm just specifically talking about with these Coen Brothers shows is how they have the unique ability, I think, to make us question whether it's going to be something... Uh, non-human or not and they do it in such a way that you almost don't even notice that they're doing it did you look up the um parable of morton's fork next the next episode no i can't do it yet because i'm afraid it'll give something away did you not yet but that's the title of next week's finale morton's fork matt shackman is the director there too and that'll be the end of it um the end of it so do you have any uh, – so, Michelle, you've kind of risen up. You've gotten these, this fan base now that are – Oh, hush. They're like, you go, girl, all over Facebook. No, it was a Twitter, and I just I, – I love her. Tuffy Pug, too. She said um, she said she loved me, Mike. I love you. I love you, too. I love uh, that. All right. So what did she wanted to know? Some stuff about Michelle being 45 and <laughs> – a housewife in Tennessee? I no, I don't think so. I'm not a housewife. I have a job. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a housewife. I was for a whole bunch of years. But um, but she said, as a new listener, uh, can you tell us about yourselves and how you met and all that kind of stuff and what state you're from? And, and she's paying attention because you mistakenly said my age in a mocking way. And... Um, she she paid attention. So you told her that uh, you'll make a point to share more on the next podcast. So okay, well, my name's so Mike. Uh, <laughs> I'm a dentist in Kansas City. <laughs> I ain't sharing nothing, man. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> All right, Michelle. Well, unless you got anything else, that's it for Fargo TV. Well, I did want to say we had one other comment on Facebook, and I did want to get to these because I love that people are now commenting on this. And please, if you have anything to say, we love to hear it. Um, we don't so, really care what you have to say. Just just give us some stars. Like I us. love to. He's, that's not true. It's not true. Um, but Paul Francis says he's a little disappointed uh, with the key and and Peel cameo, which was in the one, the episode where they were just in the car and they were the FBI detectives and we weren't sure that we were even going to see any more of them. Um, did you feel disappointed in that? I'm curious as to what Paul was really disappointed about. Maybe that it was just such a small cameo. Well, maybe at the time he thought that's all they were going to be. It was just in the car in front of the massacre. In right. Father. But or, no, we know they're not. They're going to be. I think they're going to be pretty big in the fi- final episode too. Or maybe he was disappointed because they weren't funny. I don't know. They were funny though. I well, think they've not, been funny in every scene or every they are, episode. Yes. 
Yes, they are. But if you watch their YouTube stuff, they are overtly really, I mean, they're comedians. They're hilarious. So, Well, Turducken, maybe, that's pretty damn funny. Turducken was pretty funny. <laughs> My son-in-law's a butcher, and so I, I hear about turduckins at the holiday time. So, yeah, that really struck me as funny. But, um, all right. Well, we're out of here if there's nothing else. We'll see you all next week on Morton's Fork for the finale of Fargo TV on West Coast Project. And tomorrow for Louis TV. All right. We'll see okay. you then. See you then. Bye bye. <laughs>